number 114, Danny. We getting old, Tyler. Shit, yeah, we are. And I feel like we did this movie out of season. Oh, we kind of did, but it's okay. this is not November. It's not. This is still April. <laughs> Though by the time this episode comes out, it will be May. It certainly will. However, we're here today to talk about the movie November, which the trailer was kind of vague going into it, so I will say this straight up front, that this might be the most non-horror movie we've done. I'd say, for the most part, yeah. I know, we'll get into all the we'll good details. We'll get into the, the details. But I tend to this, agree with you there. This might be the most non-horror movie we've done, but right now I could care less because it was a fucking fantastic movie. I totally so. agree with that. <laughs> so yeah, if dude. If it gives me a chance to talk about it, that's cool. And I will point out that it is currently streaming on Shudder, which is primarily a home for horror movies, although I've noticed in the past that they've also thrown other shit on there. I think I mentioned before, like when they had Ong Bak on there. Yeah, that they do. Make sense. They have but, some random titles on there, but it's still neat. Whatever. Fucking, I love Ong Bak. It's just not anywhere near being a fucking horror movie. This beautiful dark story, not really horror in no, any sense. No, it just it has like elements here and there. But you're right, not your traditional horror film. But shit, before we get into talking about November, how was your week? Yeah, it was pretty low key for the most part. Outside of watching the film, I watched one other film just for fun. Really enjoyed it. It is currently on Shudder as well. That film is You Might Be the Killer. So we were fans of Cabin in the Woods. It stars one of the stars in that and Allison Hannigan too. So yeah, it was nice to see them in some films. It played on some tropes with slashers and stuff like that. But it was a fun film. So did that. Watched a little bit of the NFL draft. And uh, yeah, just like I said, for the most part, just... Kicking it old school. Yeah, no shit. I know that yesterday we went and recorded some more Jafar. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was beyond ridiculously fun. So we'll have more of that coming out in the near future. Long yeah. it takes Patrick to get done. I was talking to Jordan about that. That's like, I'd say realistically, probably like two to three weeks two out. Two to three weeks, yep. Two to three weeks out. Probably closer to like two weeks out from the time this actually drops. Exactly. So sometime towards the end of May. If you follow our Instagram, you'll definitely know when it drops because we have a couple pictures uh, that we're holding on to yeah. until premiere day. Oh, man. <laughs> Some would say they, were, they would be Behind incriminating, the but I'm going to own up to it. It was fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So go follow our Instagram, and then you'll know for sure when Jafar drops. Yeah, a lot of fun. So yeah, that was yesterday. That was, like I said, it was a lot of fun. I know you went and seen a movie last night. Dude, I had a fucking hell of a long day yesterday. I went to the gym, and my back's been acting up all weekend, so I had to have like a super like short gym day, because I had to cut out a lot of my lifts and shit, but whatever. Went and did Jafar, then went to this tiny movie. <laughs> I don't know how many people fucking heard of it. I heard a few. Avengers Endgame? Yeah. By the way, it was awesome. It's already the 18th highest grossing movie of all time, not just domestic. And it's been out for three days. No, it's ridiculous. Or was it like one point something odd billion? I, I know that whatever the initial number was, it was actually low and they had to retaliate it today. And they're like, oh no, they actually made even more money than we were saying last night. That's ridiculous. Whatever they were saying last night, it actually made like something like another 200,000 or 300,000. I can believe it. I can totally believe that. I think probably by the time it's said and done, it's going to get really close. I was going to say. It's hard to tell because we're only three days in, four days in, depending on, you know, when you count the start. 
and we're not waiting for a China release like we would on some others where sometimes China releases like a week or two later. I think it released at the same time this time around. Okay. So we already have those initial numbers in as well. However, like I said, it's hard to track it for sure, only having three days. But if it keeps up this momentum, then it's going to beat Avatar. And even if it doesn't keep up the same momentum it has right now, because it just smashed all sorts of records, if it only keeps up the same momentum that Infinity War did, it beats Avatar. It's probably going to become the highest grossing movie of all time. I mean, that's pretty exciting. I know you're you know, a huge comic book fan. so oh, It was wonderful. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Like, there's a couple of those films in that series I, need, I still need to you know, get caught up on, but I'll eventually get there. Mm-hmm. At this point, I want something to dethrone Avatar because I don't think Avatar is that good of a movie. Yeah, you kind of gave me, like, if you're familiar with this, if you're familiar with that, then you've probably already seen Avatar. And all the things you told me, I was like, yeah, I've already seen all that. Yeah, I've seen Fern Gully, seen Pocahontas, yeah. I've seen Dances with Wolves. Like, yeah, I've seen all that. I'm good. I mean, honestly, like, the movie's not bad. It's just, it was trading in on the fact that, like, it was one of the first movies with, like, this new 3D that's way better than old school 3d and so everybody in the world was like not only is it new 3d but it's the most beautiful fucking world ever and it just had insane word of mouth and kept it growing and growing a long time past when movies usually die off most other movies don't have a trajectory that looks like that i'm pretty sure avatar still had a giant opening weekend the reason it made so much money was that it didn't die off. It kept this word-of-mouth campaign, so it kept in bringing in a shit ton of money every Yeah, exactly. Week. You might as well keep it in the theater if you're still hitting home runs. And I think the difference is, is that this endgame opening is so big that it can die off like a normal movie, and it still might catch Avatar. That's a good point, Even dude. if it follows the same die-off trend that most movies follow... This opening is so large that it still might catch Avatar. Damn. That is gnarly, isn't it? When you yeah. think about it. But yeah, I saw the numbers and it's like, I can believe it because just seeing some people's posts about, you know, this, it's already sold out. I had to get tickets this night, yada, yada. It's like, yeah, everybody's wanting to see that. And apparently they do. <laughs> you know, I knew it was going to be huge and I originally wasn't planning on going opening weekend. And then I realized that I wanted to be able to go online without fear of seeing everybody in the fucking world talk about it. Yeah, exactly. Which goes into my next thing is because as soon as I got done with Endgame, I went home and watched the latest episode God, of Game of Thrones. Oh, muddy, dude. Yeah, so I know for you, it was probably just like a long, like literally a long day, probably emotionally draining day too with some of the stuff you watched. So... I watched Game of Thrones, so I'm familiar with that. It was like four and a half hours straight of like epic battle. Yeah. I went over to and my sister's. Epic storytelling on scales oh, that we my just. Gosh. We've never <laughs> seen media presented on this scale before. Let alone on one day. One... And we're getting a little bit off of horror right now, but I think this sort of affects media in general. It Especially does. because I would argue that this episode of Game of Thrones is basically a horror movie. Yeah, I mean, it really is. When you think about the elements and the factors and what all went into the episode itself, yeah, for sure. You could definitely call it that. This episode of Game of Thrones was more of a horror movie than the movie we're going to talk about on the podcast. Oh, in a lot of ways. But, you know, that doesn't take anything away from the film. But you're right, which is funny to say, in a sense, Mm -hmm. that Game of Thrones is more horror than the film we're going to be discussing. But, I mean, they've touched on that before, too, because, like, the other two big battle, well, especially Hard Home, is God. one of the best zombie movies that have been done. You I know, know what right? I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's pretty dope. But, yeah, that was pretty epic last night. Like I said, I went to my sister's, and 
saw that the episode was like an hour 36. Like, oh shit, I was like literally watching a movie tonight. So I was okay with that. Yeah, I think it ended up being what, like an hour 26 and yeah, then like something credits like that. and after features. But still, like that, it was so. long enough for a, a full length. Mm-hmm. So that was awesome. Yeah, so I know you were crammed full of cool shit yesterday. <sighs> Jesus, and then I woke up and watched this two hours. I know, movie. man. So I've just been... been doing a shit ton of watching all weekend. All the movies. <laughs> well, because like, we both get into watching yeah. the movies every week. I mean, so I watched November originally on Friday night. And then Saturday was mostly just a rest day because of my fucking back. And Understandable, yeah. I kind of got to watch this a little bit earlier in the week. So my note-taking wasn't as strenuous as it, you know, it could have been. So, yeah, aside from that, man, like, it, was, it was a pretty low-key week, but some good stuff, you know, as far as watching-wise. Mm-hmm. I did try to skim through some news, and there wasn't too much that jumped out at me. I know that earlier in the week, I made sure to send you the lore report that Three From Hell got its rating. Which, as we've talked about on the show before, that means it's done. Yeah, now it's just uh, a matter of getting all the loose ends buttoned up as far as, like, trailers and, yeah, just getting it ready for the theater. Yeah. You don't get to make changes after it gets rated or else it has to get re-rated. Exactly. I mean, you can make changes to put out fucking on Blu-ray or whatever, but this is getting a theatrical release. I mean... Yeah, I'm excited, dude. So, now that it's rated, that means the final cut's in the can. So, like you said, it's just... Everything else just leading up to it. We should be getting a trailer soon, according to Rob. So that's the only other thing I saw today on that, was that he's like, yeah, there should be a trailer coming out soon. Who knows what soon means? But yeah. he was also talking about like possibly a September release on it. So Yeah, so hopefully within the next few weeks at best, you know, we'll see what happens. But I'm super stoked about it. Anything else catch your eye? There was one other thing that caught my eye. I actually read about it earlier this week. And it was just Ari Aster talking about Midsommar. First off, it, it kind of caught my eye because it was the first time I actually saw a synopsis for Midsommar. Because I didn't actually know what it's about from the trailer, other than it gives off, like, Wicker Man vibes. Yeah, full horror galore. So, the actual synopsis is, uh, it follows a teenage guy, played by Jack Rayner, who wants to break up with his girlfriend, who's played by Florence Pugh. However holds off after a personal tragedy. This emotional buildup happens to be occurring as both are headed towards a crazy nine-day festival, which only happens every 90 years. A Swedish Puritan-type celebration of love and glee with some horrific results. (laughs) But then what also caught my eye was just him talking about it, and he said in Entertainment Weekly... The film is definitely mining the same vein as Wicker Man was working, but as a piece of folk horror, it's pretty irreverent in that it doesn't really stay comfortably on that route. That's why I'm making sure to describe it as a fairy tale. It's not a million miles away from something like Alice in Wonderland. It's a psychedelic film, but there are no solid comparisons that I can hand you. I'm hoping that the film feels pretty singular and is a trip. Nice. We might have to take a trip in more ways than one to the theater for that one. Yeah, no shit. But to me, in my head, and maybe this is just me wanting it to be this way, but that makes it sound like it's going to be the Wicker Man mixed with Mandy. (laughs) I'd be okay with that. Shit, that'd be awesome. If you give me Wicker Man mixed with Mandy, you might have just given me one of my favorite horror movies ever. So We'll see what happens, but that's another one I'm really looking forward to. Shit, that's about all I saw, though. I didn't really see anything else super big. I think there was more images of like the new Chucky, which... Yeah, I don't want to say too much about it. Yeah, I saw that too. I was like, eh, we'll see. 
Now, I've got a few bits that kind of caught my eye. Now, you did mention some box office numbers. We both did for the Avengers, but <laughs> more on the horror side, I've got a couple of numbers for some more recent films. So we checked out Pet Cemetery. We talked about the fact, you know, their goal is to hit about $70 million worldwide. That way the producers can kind of talk about the ideas of a prequel for this. As it sits right now, it has surpassed $100 million globally, which it's already a smash. And it's on top of like a $20 million budget. So that's pretty awesome. And good job to those guys, Kevin Kolsch and Dennis Widmer. So that was really cool. Another film that just recently came out is The Curse of... Uh, La Llorona. Yeah, La Llorona. It has made $75 million over the weekend. Or no not shit. over the weekend, but it has passed Yeah, that number. Not going to lie. How? I don't know, dude. That I'm not big on those kind of films. not look special it didn't look bad no i think for the most part because it is rooted in certain folklore you know mm-hmm. and stuff like that it probably hit a certain demographic and possibly word of mouth i say i mean i was initially interested in this movie until i saw a trailer simply because it was the curse of la llorona yeah um mine was not a mexican-american household where la llorona was brought up neither was kukui uh <laughs> i had the white boogeyman growing up nice but just yeah the normal boogeyman not kukui but that doesn't mean i didn't know what they were and so even that was a neat little touchstone like oh cool we're actually getting this but then i actually saw the trailer (laughs) yeah you know what i mean like i'm not gonna go to a movie based off of just the fucking name and the trailer to me didn't look like anything special i'm really surprised to hit that number I mean, there are some films, like, so that I might not necessarily be a big fan of, but that doesn't necessarily mean other people want to go out and see it, you know? Mm-hmm. Some of those numbers prove this point. So, yeah, it made $75 million here domestically, and it said on its way to $86.9 million worldwide. So, and it's just in its second week, so good job for those. It also looks like Jordan Peele's film that we went and seen recently as well, Us, said that it's sitting just short of $500,000 from making... $250 million globally. Oh, so it just knocked it out of the fucking park. Yeah, it said, uh, same thing, $20 million budget. But it's Jeez. another one of those we talked to about the fact that with Blumhouse, they don't necessarily throw a lot of money at these films, but their returns are fucking astronomical, dude. So with those three numbers, you know, we're talked about the fact that horror, like, it's killing it at the theater, even though it might not get as much notoriety or press that it should be getting. Unfortunately, there is one film that kind of borders the horror genre a little bit is Hellboy, which I know you went and seen. Oh, and it's just getting shattered. Oh, it's on. getting. It said it flamed out at twenty-one and a half million dollars here domestically. Man, they said it. It might. It might hit fifty or sixty at best, but that's sitting on a fifty million dollar budget. How much did uh, La Llorona cost to make? Nine million dollars budget. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. The film did look like it was more expensive than that. Yeah, $9 million. So if they made it look that good off $9 million, then I guess that's something to... I would have guessed, that, I would have guessed that it cost like 17 to make. Yeah, somewhere that from range. from what I've seen in the that. trailer. Like, I mean, obviously, like there's not much you can go off of in the trailer, but I was like, this is <laughs> this looks like it has enough to be about this. Give or take, yeah. yeah. So that's impressive. Okay. Yeah, so it just lets us know that. Like mm-hmm. I said, there are some upcoming films, too, that are probably going to draw some even good numbers. Even if it would have cost 19 those numbers still put it as a giant success. So. Yeah, given. No shit. The fact that it cost even less is amazing. Good for them. Yeah, exactly. Good for, good for them. them. So for fans of Friday the 13th, 
the series and or the original film. It is exciting to hear that Waxwork Records, they are repressing Friday the 13th onto vinyl, which was Harry Manfredini's score for the film. So it's pretty awesome. And now they released it, I think, back in 2014 and uh, sold out, man. Just anything that Waxwork puts out, not only do you get an awesome album cover, but you also get colored vinyl. So if you're into collecting records, if you're into horror scores, this one is definitely worth checking out. I don't have a date quite yet, but it looks like this deluxe repress is going to feature new cutting master inserts in linear notes. So for people who are into that shit, check it out. All right, so we talked about the fact that one of the directors we covered recently was real big into kaiju films. And with that being said, for the first time in North America, Mothra is coming to Blu-ray. So some of the special features, they are including both the Japanese and U.S. edits of the film. There's a full-length commentary with sci-fi historians Steve Rifle and Ed Godzijewski. It's a Polish name. I can't say it right. <laughs> There's also trailers, photo galleries, etc. But this is being released by Mill Creek Entertainment. And for those who are curious, it is releasing on July 9th here in the States. So it's pretty exciting. Another gentleman we're no strangers to, that's James Wan. It has been announced that he is wanting to do an adaptation, or at least a new adaptation, of Stephen King's Salem Lot. And I've kind of seen some people were like, you know, they shouldn't be touching that. I know it was made for TV back in the late 70s. I actually own it and just watched it recently, and it's not bad. But I could see this film getting a readaptation. I think it's about time. Maybe play a little bit more of the horror side. Like, it was good. It has a lot of atmosphere. It's just long, three hours of long, drawn-out shit. <laughs> but not bad, so we'll see. be interesting. I've got a couple of other bits of news, and that kind of rounds it out. But we did talk about the fact that Guillermo del Toro has several projects lined up. It looks like Leonardo DiCaprio is in talks for Nightmare Alley. <laughs> so, it looks like the film itself, it's going to be co-written with Kim Gordon along with Del Toro. It says the film is based on the 1947 movie about a corrupt con man who teams up with a female psychiatrist to trick people into giving them money. They said it was originally written, and this was a novel form by William Lindsay Gresham, and uh, J. Miles Dale is helping produce this alongside Del Toro. So just uh, an updated version of this film, possibly with Leo. Pretty interesting. <laughs> All right, there's a couple other things. It looks like uh, the film Come to Daddy, which looks like it's a crowd pleaser. This one is kind of interesting. The person who helped write it is Toby Harvard, and he helped write uh, The Greasy Strangler and helped with the segment G is for Granddad for ABCs of Death Part 2. And the film was directed by Ant Timpson, who did such things as The Greasy Strangler, Turbo Kid, and Deathgasm. But uh, this film stars Elijah Wood. Like I said, currently it's hitting the circuits. This is part of the Tribeca Film Festival, but it looks like this film kind of deals with Wood's character who like, kind of lives at home with his mom, is very sedentary for the most part, gets a call from his dad out of the blue who wants him to stay with him, and he obliges, and then it basically turns into a waking nightmare. So hmm. looks interesting. I like uh, Elijah Wood a lot. He's a huge fan of horror films, and he's been in quite a few, and they've all been pretty fucking solid. So it'll be interesting to see him in that. He's actually really, I mean, and I don't mean to really to put down this role because I fucking love these movies, <laughs> right? but he is really good when he's not just walking fucking Mordor. <laughs> no kidding, right? 
That's funny, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, he's he's an interesting person. By interesting, I mean he's done some really interesting parts. You know, he's knowledgeable about film, and he's one of the few who made it out of Hollywood at a young age without being fucked up by the industry. So mm-hmm. kudos to him. All right, and the last bit of news. Or at least not that we know. Yeah, he's been pretty adamant that there's some shady shit that goes on, but because his mom was what do you call it, like a, basically a hawk. You know, yeah. She like always watched over her parent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's just <laughs> always hovering. <laughs> but uh, like I said, kudos to him, man. I'm just glad that he's doing some horror films. But the last bit of news I have is pretty exciting because we are fans of this director. We've actually covered a few of his films. But Takashi Miike has a new film. This film is called First Love. It's an action thriller. It looks like the plot of the film, it's set over one night in Tokyo. The film will follow Leo, who's a young boxer drawn on his luck as he meets his first love, Monaco, who's a call girl in an addict, but still an innocent. So we know what Takashi Miike can do with action, with gore, just with genre films in general. So How many fucking credits does that motherfucker have to his name? We know at least 100 with Blade of the Immortal. I don't know how many since then, but... 104. Jesus. As director. That's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> and I mean, some of those are going to be like television episodes from yeah. like Japanese shows and stuff. But I mean, we've talked about insane. the fact that he did like... Yeah, he's done kid stuff. He's done comedies. He's done television series, horror films. Just He's got his thumbprint all over Japanese cinema, which is awesome. Like I said, I own several of his films. I don't own quite 100. I might own like 10. But uh, I'm a big fan, so this one I think I own like out. two. <laughs> That's all right, man. It's a good start. Tsukiyaki Western Django and Ichi. Oh, those are fucking dope films. But yeah, dude, I'm excited about that. I still need to watch Blade of the Immortal. I know that it's streaming on a couple of different sites, so that'll be the next one. And I'll have to check out this one whenever it's uh, ready for release. But I feel like I need to rewatch. 13 Assassins as well. That's a good one. I saw somebody referencing it the other day, and I was like, fuck, I barely remember this at all. Like, I definitely need to rewatch this. But Nice. Yeah, so that was kind of the bits of news that caught my eye. I thought they were worth noting. Like I said, aside from just catching up on some TV shows this weekend, man, I'm, uh, I'm excited about today's episode. The film is pretty solid. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I don't really have anything else either, so let's get straight into the guts and bolts. Guts and Bolts. Guts and Bolts. I hope you all are, you know, up to date on your Estonian actors. I would hope so, (laughs) because they're going to be very important for today's episode. Yeah, so November from Estonia. Synopsis? Yeah. How do you give a synopsis for this movie that isn't just telling somebody the movie? Essentially, yeah. It's a village girl has fallen for a village boy who has his eyes on another. And it's the story of what she's willing to do, as well as them having to deal with everyday life in truly old country Estonia. Yeah, it's kind of like feudal Estonia. Complete with folklore. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of folklore in So I want to say truly old country. Like, this is... Yeah, not rooted. only not only are they living the shitty old country life, but like <laughs> the folklore is all still there. Oh yeah, without and all without the superstition and all the everything except it's real. Yeah, so that's a good brief synopsis. We do like to talk, you know, about the people going to making the film, and 
Today I'm gonna to lead off with our director, and that gentleman is Rainer Sarnat. And our director for this film has also gone on to direct other films such as Where Souls Go. He's directed the film The Idiot. If you're familiar with Estonian television series, you might have seen his work in The Bank. Along with him being the writer on this, this film is based off the novel by Andras Kaverak. And by I'm, the way, we're going to just butcher these names. I, you know what? I know a little bit about some of these names because I do follow hockey, and some of these are Finnish. It's like Ulgric Finnish names, so I, I might not butcher them as bad. Okay, I'll but if I have to say them, I'm butchering. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try my best. I'm not sure what an A with the umlaut over the top sounds like. Yeah, I think it's just like an ah sound. You know what? I don't know. Um, yeah, we'll try. We'll try our best. So please be forgiving. But man, the name of the book was like Rahatept. I'm probably not even saying that right, but it's based off the novel that came out. I want to say in like 2000. Interesting. Rehipap. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to try our best. All right. Our cinematographer on this film is Martinil. He's done such films as Autumn Ball, 1944, and the documentary Impromptu. The editor on this film is Yaroslav Kaminsky. He has edited such films as Ida, Jack Strong, Bikini Blue in the film Cold War. The music for this was composed by Michael Jakacek. He has composed for such films as Suicide Dream, The Bad Kids, which is a documentary, Memories of Summer, and He Dreams of Giants, which is a documentary that is upcoming. It looks really interesting. That was cool. All right, special effects. This was done by Nordic Vision, and they help with the snow effects in the film. This was produced by Katrin Kissa. The production companies were Homeless Ba Production, Opus Film, and PRPL. The distributors were Cinemian. They helped with uh, the theatrical release, and this was in the Netherlands. This is back in 2018. And Danau Film helped with 2018 Germany's All Media, and Oscilloscope helped with 2017 USA's All Media. And they actually helped with the subtitling as well. The release dates were February 3rd, 2017 in Estonia. It had its premiere on April 24th, 2017 at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York City. And if you're familiar, it's on the Lower East Side in Manhattan. I've actually <laughs> been there. Not at the Tribeca Film Festival, but in that neighborhood. Mm. All right. The budget had an estimated 1.4 million euros, which translates out to $1.63 million here in the States. Didn't get any box office returns or anything like that, just because it was limited. So it's not going to have any huge numbers. All right, now we can kind of get into the cast, and there's some interesting people. They've been on a lot of projects together, so that's part of the reason why they were cast for these roles. But I was going to say, and there's one cast member oh. who I think is definitely going to be the most recognizable to American audiences. Totally agree, especially if you're familiar with the film. And he's shown in the trailer, but I want to warn you right now that if you're watching the movie for him, he shows up for all of like 30 seconds. Yeah, he's just in a few scenes. I mean, maybe a little bit more than 30 seconds, but, yeah. but it's not much. It's not a huge role, but I mean, he makes appearances. Before we get to our leads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just in case somebody <laughs> was like, hey, I recognize that guy, so I want to watch this movie. The Mad Scientist from The Human Centipede for a sequence Dieter Losser himself is in this movie. Uh, he certainly is. And uh, the role that he plays is the role of the Baron. 
in this particular film. I have a couple of other film credits. Now, he goes way back, all the way in the 60s. I mean, he is a German film actor. So some of the familiar films that people might recognize him from outside of The Human Centipede are the films The Ogre. He was a part of Lex, the television series in 1998 through 2000. He was also in the film Baltic Storm. We had mentioned, of course, Human Centipede, but he was also in the third sequence as well as Bill Boss. So get back to our leads in this. This is some really interesting actors. The actress who plays the role of Lena, this is played by Ria Lescht. She has been in such films as Mother. I'm going to really butcher this fucking name of this film, but the English translation comes out to be Manslayer, Virgin, and Shadow. It's Estonian Finnish <laughs> pronunciation is Mehetbija Sutu Indvari, but that's what it translates out to be. And there's a lot of people who were in that film that I'm going to mention later on. She has also been in the film Skandinava Vakus, which looks pretty interesting as well. Now, the lead actor plays the role of Hans. This was played by Jorgen Leek. He's actually the husband of Realist. So they are oh, real no life shit. partners. Yeah. Oh, cool. Which uh, I'll talk about a little bit later. It kind of made me feel a little bit better about this film. Okay, now, Jorgen has been in such films as The Last Romeo. He's been in the film The End of Chain. And he was also a part of Manslayer, Virgin, and Shadow. All right, the next actor I have is Arvo Kukamagi. He plays the role of Ryan. Now, he plays Lena's dad in this film. He's been in such films as Eidelmastik. He was also in Keskerumut. And he was also in Kaskabub Kapadel and Killing Tartu. Now, upon those enunciations, those pronunciations, those are all <laughs> those are all Estonian films. Thank you for being the one to try them, because I'm looking at a couple of these, and nope. Yeah, they're tough, man. All right. Now, the next actress I have in this film is Katharina Unt. She plays the role of Luisa in this film. She has been in such films as Yuri Room. She was also in the film Somnambulance. She's in the film Autumn Ball. You might have seen her in the film The Idiot. She was also in The Polar Bear with our lead actor Jorgen Leek. She was also in the film The Temptation of St. Anthony. And of course, she was in Manslayer, Virgin, and Shadow. All right, the next actor I have in this is Tavi Ilma. He plays the role of Ints in the film. He was also in the film Autumn Ball. He was in Where Souls Go, The Temptation of St. Anthony, The Idiot, and the film Portugal. All right. The next actor I have is Heino Kolum. He plays the role of Sander in this film. And the only other credit I have him in is... Ooh, which one was Sander? He was the one who had... He was the older guy with the crooked oh, nose. Okay. Looked like his nose had been broken multiple times. <laughs> the other role that I have him in, or the other film I have him in, is Ulal Pitov, another Estonian film. The next actor I have is Milis Grameld. He plays the role of Rigan in the film. He's been in such films as Love is Blind. Tiskalyad and the film Manslayer, Virgin, and Shadow. Go figure. We've already mentioned Dieter Lasser plays the role of Baron. I have Jit Luna Ermana. She plays the role of the Baroness. This is her debut film. She is really known because she's a fashion model. I have a couple of other roles in this film. One of them is Jan Tuming. He plays Satan, the devil, in this film. This is actually his only other credit. I have Clara Eichhorn. She plays the witch in this film. Same thing. This is her film debut. We have Sepa Tom. He plays the role of Endel in this film. This is also his debut. And the other actress I have that actually has a couple other roles is Mari Eibel. She plays the role of Lena's mom. 
She has been in such films as Zero Point and Tisk Lelyad. And that's the only other credits I've got. So there's some other bit players here and there. There's a couple I'm sure we'll be talking about later on in the film. Oh, okay, yeah. But yeah, aside from that, that's our main cast and crew. We gave you a brief synopsis. Our warnings aren't really heavy this week, surprisingly enough. I mean, as you said, when you're saying people's names, like, the devil is in this, but this, this ain't the normal devil. I don't want to give away too much yet. Right, right. I mean, I'm sure we're going to end up talking about him because it's such an interesting interpretation, but it's not like... Fire and brimstone. It's not fire and brimstone, and it's not like smooth, suave, sexy, seductive devil. It's kind of goofy, but it's awesome. I totally agree with that. Yeah, it's it's a little bit more playful. It still does involve like selling souls, but I mean, like you said, you do have a witch in this, but it's kind of just an old lady, exactly playing with herbs and shit. Yeah, like I said, really rooted more so in the the folklore. More so than, like, flying on broomsticks and shit. There's ghosts. There are ghosts in this film. They're not very ghosty. No, but, I mean, there are ghosts. You're right. Um, there's a werewolf. There's a werewolf, which is not really the traditional werewolf in the, the sense of the word. No. I mean, on film that we're, you know, used to. And it's not like it's a werewolf that's tearing apart people. No, no, no. That's what I mean. It's like, it's not what you're used to hearing the word werewolf. There's a lot of supernatural. But yeah, it's really rooted in the but supernatural. But it's a fairy tale. It is. It's more or less a dark fairy tale. Even most of the darkness just comes from the bleakness of their existence. Yeah, exactly. Which, probably hearing us talking about it is like, without spoiling the film, it's hard to really describe without getting into the details. I like to say, if you're not a big fan of like foreign language films, oh, it's a, a little, little bit... there's a little bit of nudity. Yeah, there is some nudity. I guess we should warn about that. Yeah, if you're not comfortable with, you know, seeing naked people... You're not going to like this. It's a little bit of a slow burn. It's like two hours. <laughs> You're not going to like this for all of like two seconds. Yeah. I mean, you never know. <laughs> like, yep, nope, dongs, I'm out. If you're the type of person that's going to be offended by the two seconds of nudity yeah. that's in this movie, you're going to be more offended by the fact that they're working magic and witchcraft. That's another big factor, too. Like, if you're not comfortable with those subjects of, I guess, paganism, esotericism, and all that shit. Folk magic. Yeah, folk magic. Even some stuff with Christianity, it might offend some people. I have some questions about that, but there is some weird Christian imagery that happens throughout this movie. So, And not just weird, but also just Christian imagery and I suppose one scene involving the Eucharist that could be offensive. It could be. But it does get explained, and yep. it's more folk magic than anything. Yeah, so. that's pretty awesome. <laughs> so, aside from that, if you really like... Oh, we have to mention, too, if you don't like black and white films, you're probably not going to like this either. Oh, yeah. I, I guess if you're averse to black and white movies, stay the fuck away from this. I know. You're missing out, but, you know, it's your cup of tea, not mine. Uh, that's one of the worst fucking warnings we can give. I know. Like, I was like, it's it's really tame in comparison to, like, especially last week's episode. So Yeah, absolutely. Heads and tails. <laughs> yeah. So I guess with that, so we can stop beating around the fucking bush, let's go right into November. How does that make you squeal? Right, November. I don't know if I've ever seen an Estonian movie. We were just both kind of mentioning that. 
And so, way to go, Estonia, because this might end up being one of my favorite movies of the entire year. I mean, it didn't come out this year, but... Right, but I know what you mean as far as films that we have seen. It's funny you mention that, because I was thinking that earlier after I'd watched it for taking notes. It's like, man, this is arguably like the best film I've seen so far this year. You know, I've, yeah. I've, most of the films I've watched or we've watched. So that says a lot. I just really like the storytelling, what this film has to offer, it was actually, for Estonia, they submitted it to the Academy Awards for Best Foreign Language Film, but it didn't get a nomination. Like, it wasn't considered. Fuck you, Academy Awards. Yeah. Well, that's another one of those things we've talked about, man. It's like, fuck them, dude. They missed out on a great film. That's right. Yeah. Great storytelling. Feels just like a folktale. Beautiful. It's arguably Beautiful. one of the most, like, cinematically, the cinematography in this is stunning. Like, it is stunning. And it's not just the black and white. No. It's making use of the black and white. Absolutely. It makes those colors, those schemes, transcend what you normally see. So yeah, good job. Kudos. Uh, my first note is because I was blown away from literally the first three seconds of this movie. <laughs> yeah. I felt like, to me at least, it felt like this scene took five times longer than it did because my brain was processing all the tiny little details because you open just on snow. So it's yeah. a white screen, but it's not a white screen. There's these very small lines of texture throughout it, and they're moving because the camera immediately starts panning over to a hole in the ice, and you start looking into this lake. But I thought it was just amazing because they actually gave you a white screen yeah. with texture. And it just reminded me, God, I'm going to get really nerdy again. I mean, we already talked a little bit about Endgame, but... If anybody's seen the first season of Marvel's Daredevil, there's a painting that ends up meaning a lot to Wilson Fisk, Kingpin, and the painting is like hair in a snowstorm or something like that. I can't remember the name of it, but it's literally just like a canvas slathered with different shades of white, but they're all white, and it's just, it has this texture from being this paint just on it and he's fascinated with it, and I didn't get it until I saw the first frames of this movie. It's pretty neat, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gives you some context. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm awesome. like, oh, I fucking get it, because this is wonderful. <laughs> Precisely. Now, because we get the luxury, for the most part, of watching the film more than once, I noticed something about the opening sequence and the end sequence in this film. I might talk about it towards the end, but I like the way that it opened. It starts and ends with a hole in the water, in the ice. I mean, essentially, it it opens and ends with somebody or something being in the the stream. We find out who that is much later on, but I like that. I mean, it's a bit of foreshadowing before you even know it's a foreshadowing moment. And another thing too is wondering, like, why was it opening with just a wolf lapping water, kind of snow bathing, so to speak. Things like that. And then it really opens up with another bizarre sequence that I'd never seen before. The crat. Yeah, the crat. It's like, what is that? That's a crat. <laughs> wow. Okay, so that was also one of my other notes. And this isn't necessarily critical of the movie. But I do have to say that the first four minutes of this movie doesn't sell what the rest of this movie is. Because if you watch up You're right about just that. through the crat stealing the cow... This movie seems way more off the walls bonkers than it actually ends up being. Exactly. And you still end up with a movie where, like, the devil shows up later, and there's a legit witch, and another couple crack get made. 
but it's not as off the walls bonkers as Flying Krat in the beginning makes it seem like it's going to be. Yeah, exactly. That is a really unique way of incorporating folklore because a Krat is known in Estonian folklore. I yeah, did... I had to look it up and then I was Likewise. like, oh, either they took their definition of Krat directly from this movie and book. Yeah, exactly. Or this movie and book are directly what a Krat is supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm still leaving that first possibility open just because I have a feeling most people don't know much Estonian oh, folklore. I, I would, so Yeah, unless you're Estonian or you have some kind of maybe, you know, like I said, Northern European mm-hmm. background. Yeah, this is totally foreign to me. Yeah, I did write down a couple of notes on what a krat is, just for those who don't know. One definition you could use is that it's a demon who stole and brought food, money, or other worldly goods to its maker and owner in the form of a whirlwind or meteor-like trail of fire. The second one, which this film uses, it is a creature formed from hay or old household implements by its master, who then had to give the devil three drops of blood for the devil to bring the life to the krat. So it's a animated or a personified... <laughs> Just set of tools, household items. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it was bizarre. I was like, first this thing is moving like that, and then second it's stealing a damn cow and flying with it. That was the other <laughs> weird thing. I guess, I don't know this why. Is trippy. The crap was so weird that my first time through, I didn't actually register that it was stealing the cow. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was just trying to figure out what the fuck was going on. Yeah, because it's so bizarre. It's out of place. Mm-hmm. You don't really have context. And then later on, I was like, oh, no, they're thiefing it up. These suckers, man, <laughs> they don't give a shit. No. Okay, then after I looked up the definition of a crat and stuff, though, I started wondering to myself, Danny, mm-hmm. if you were to take your shit and make yourself a modern-day crat... Oh, yeah. What would I use? Yeah. Oh, man, that's... You know, honestly, I didn't think about that even, like, watching the film, but that's a good question. Ooh. I wouldn't make a snowman. I mean, not unless <laughs> yeah, no I wanted some beautiful poetry. <laughs> But uh, I guess to do some like some bad shit, maybe use some chainsaws or something, something a little bit more lethal, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I keep thinking like if I'm going to use my crat to like steal things, like <laughs> this is an all new day and age. So like, yeah. its head isn't going to be a cow skull. It's probably going to be like my old smartphone. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. We need something smart. <laughs> and at least one of its arms is going to be like a USB connector. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's smart, yeah. yeah. Or maybe I'll just have that as like a dick or something. That's I don't awesome. know. Um, I mean, you really, the combinations could be limitless. And then, God, I don't know. Like, do I trust a crat to like cook for me? They didn't seem like they were the best at what they did. No, they weren't the best, and they weren't really trustworthy either. Like, after they run out of jobs, you're yeah. kind of fucked unless you know a way out. And there is a way out. Yeah, you have to give him an impossible task. Exactly. Which, as soon as he said the fucking make a ladder out of bread, I was like, "Oh, you gave it something, so it's gonna burn itself out." I love even how before that plays I look, out. even before I looked up, I'm like, I knew enough folklore to be like, yeah. oh, you just fucked its world." Yeah, <laughs> it literally blew its mind. <laughs> yeah. So that's the thing. Like, I'm not sure if I would trust a crat. Like, because I would love to use a crat as just like point. a butler. Well, but I don't know if I trust a crat to cook for me. I don't know if I wholeheartedly would trust one, considering that you're making a deal with the devil, too. Right. But, I mean, I'm, I'm saying if I had to make a I crat. know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I'm no <laughs> good as a man. I'm not going to make it through the winter. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it depends on what the circumstances are, too, I suppose. Yeah. I think you got to go with the smartphone head in this day and age. Yeah, so. considering. For sure, dude. I don't know, man. This is tough. I say you have limitless possibilities of whatever combinations. Oh, I know. 
because I would trust it to do something this fucking simple. I'd give one of its arms to be my fucking cat scoop so I can fucking <laughs> scoop my cat shit. There you go. That's pretty good. It's practical. Right? Yeah. I mean, it gives it a job every day. Every day. Easy. Yeah. Or if it starts bitching to me about something to do, I can be like, oh, do that. Come scoop cat shit. <laughs> Honestly, like, make its body out of, like, graphics processing cards and be like, go fucking mine bitcoin <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right there you go do something <laughs> my bitcoin that's right that's awesome yeah this day and age you can play with all kinds of cool shit yeah there's all sorts of possibilities but then when you start thinking about how much you actually trust a crat to do you're like i don't know man yeah, uh, sketchy as fuck <laughs> can you make crat assassins would they be any i mean they kill their owners but even then they were kind of laughing at the idea like no, like anybody in their right health can take on a crat. Like, yeah, you just have to outwit it. You push it over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, whatever. I don't know. You can play with some sharp objects, unfortunately, if that were the case, too. But I still like the idea of using a crat in the film itself. That's the first hint that you're messing with folklore. The second one, I think, for me, it takes place a little bit later on. They have the All Souls Day, which is actually unique to the story in itself because they have groves... And the folklore is the groves were like a sacred place. It was usually a burial spot for relatives. That way on All Souls Day they can visit and typically you would try to feed them. I think you even set up like hot saunas and things like that, clean them, all that good stuff. But those places, those groves, sometimes they were gardens. Because they were sacred too, is like it was not allowed to cut the woods, not even to break branches, things like that. You'd have to offer up sacrifices in case you infringe. I like how they're playing that kind of homage to that as well. It's like, all right, that's another bit of folklore. Because then the ghosts come out, and that was another really cool scene. In this movie, there's the hints at the... God, how do I want to put this? The juxtaposing of the... I don't know Estonian history, but I'm going to guess that much like the other in the area of Scandinavia countries, they were forced into Christendom. Oh yeah, for sure. So I kind of like the people sort of adapting by just incorporating the Christian elements into their folk magic with, yeah. like, the fucking communion way for bullets. That was good. I was like, man, it's a little bit dirty because they're all like, you have to open your mouth up to receive it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, this is ridiculous. And I was wondering, I was like, why aren't they eating? Is that, oh, they spit that shit back out because they thought it was divine in their hunting. They can use it to their advantage. And then that sort of started getting me thinking, though, like, if you're a believer, how much could you get mad at finding out that these people are doing this when they're still obviously putting their faith in the divine? Right. In the same divine that you are. Right. It's just not the way that you practice it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Different strokes, different folks. (laughs) And especially considering their situation. These motherfuckers are literally eating willow bark. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> desperate times, desperate measures, dude. They couldn't even afford to build a full-size fucking house. That thing had to be two feet too short, so everyone was hunched over all the yeah, time. Yeah, that's like the conserved space and heat, I suppose. And yeah, yeah that would be a nightmare. But you're right, I like how they incorporate the old world beliefs in adapting certain customs, rituals with Christianity. Something I was reading, too, with Estonia, like, it is... I don't want to misspeak when I say this too, but I read that they're a little bit proud of the fact that they're one of the most atheistic countries in all of Europe as well. 
So they hold on to that old world belief more so than Christianity because it was kind of forced upon them. So this is another one that it could sound critical, but my first time through, I kind of thought that they would make a bigger deal out of searching for the crap that she made up uh, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to cover the fact that she was actually snatching, s- snatching shit to jewelry. steal on the side. Yeah. I mean, it was an easy excuse to blame a crap. By the way, okay, so just because I've not always known the most scrupulous people in my life, and so... I've ran into versions of this, I guess, in real life, which is kind of fucked up, but whatever it happens. Mm-hmm. But if you're stealing shit and it's a giant risk to you, <laughs> then yeah, selling it for high price makes sense. If you're stealing shit at like no risk to you, <laughs> you're a dickwad if you're asking for like full price. Yeah, I know, right? That sucks. <laughs> What I Maybe was... that's just my feelings, but like... No, that's under... Yeah, exactly. I know what If you're, you're stealing shit at like no risk, then yeah. you're just being a dickwad if you're still turning around and trying to get full market for it. Yeah. I know what you're saying. It's the market value. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be mad at that. That's capital. <laughs> <though. laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. What I thought was kind of interesting too is like the links they would go to to like steal shit. They didn't give... They were stealing out in the open. They didn't give a fuck. Especially yeah. in the manor or the estate of the Baron. And he was witnessing a lot of that, too. And I liked the fact that I think what they're trying to do with those particular characters and the wealthy estate is to give you the contrast between maybe what in their minds, like the Christian's mind, um, you know, you're not supposed to sin. And they're out in open sinning, <laughs> blatantly sinning. You know, and he's just disappointed. He doesn't call them out. He doesn't say anything. He's just disappointed. Let's them do what they want to do. I think mainly because they're going to do it regardless, <laughs> you know. So I kind of like that contrast. Yeah, that's funny. So these are all the different sinning and this or that and people getting away with stealing and all this <laughs> shit throughout the movie. I think it kind of fits into a bigger point of I think the only true critique I would have about this movie, and it doesn't actually bug me that much because I think this movie... Okay, so let me get to it. So... This movie is beautifully done as a folktale slash fairy tale. I haven't read the novel, but from what I understand is that that's basically what it was trying to be. You know what I mean? It's like this guy wrote this story, but it was kind of just like him doing a modern folktale and not by a modern folktale, but just writing one in like modern times. Right, right. Based on like the mythology and the folklore and everything he knew from the region and succeeds wonderfully. If you had told me that this is just based on an actual Estonian folktale, I would absolutely believe you because it plays exactly uh, yeah, like exactly a fucking like a fairy tale. Folktale, fairy tale works well because there's a little bit of that. In like there, there's I some believe. grim in it. Yeah. yeah, there's definitely some grim in it. However, most of those tales we might not pass them down for these reasons anymore, but they were made for the reasons of either teaching things or reinforcing beliefs. Yeah, oh yeah. Of their time periods. So I feel like, unfortunately, this movie, whether the original author or the director of this movie feel this way, ends up glorifying straight up being survivalists over everything else. There is a tinge, like, you can be misconstrued as, you know, having this belief system that, you know, it's almost like nationalism to a sense. It's like you know, we're Estonians and whatever, I don't care who you are, outsider, insider, whatever's on this land is our shit. And it's basically like all the dreamers in this movie, the characters who could be described not just as dreamers, but as romantics, 
in the classical sense, not in the way that they're trying to romance everyone. I know you mean, but yeah, there's a... More in the, the sense that they're looking for the artistic and the beautiful and trying to make the beautiful and the perfect everything and romanticizing everything. Right, right, exactly. All of the characters that can be described that way, I thought of it more as dreamers because it ties into one other character, die. The only characters that get ahead in this movie are the ones that hold on to purely realistic and survivalistic expectations. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I feel like further exemplified, I like to call them dreamers rather than simply romantics, because you have that further exemplified by a character who literally sleepwalks yeah. to her death. Yeah, it's like inevitable. It's a unique play on that concept. And at the first time through this movie, I thought of it more of just like old world beliefs versus new world beliefs. And then I was like, as you go through it again, it's more like the movie seems to continually reinforce that doing anything beyond merely surviving, including trying to seek happiness, yeah. is a failing of some sort. Yeah, it's untimely, mm -hmm. right? It almost does seem like, like and I don't trivial... think, but that's the thing. I don't think the director no, or the or know. possibly even the original author necessarily feel that way. Yeah, otherwise yeah, I, probably, I, he wouldn't have made this fucking beautiful artistic movie. I, I would, I totally agree with that that sentiment because I feel like if it were their intention, it would be something completely different. Probably like super bleak. Mm -hmm. You know, you could go that route. I like how it does have uh, the play on the romanticization of certain concepts, but it has like untimely fates, almost Shakespearean. They're tragic comedies. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it, very reminiscent of like the Grimm fairy tales. Precisely too. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that element. And because there is a German influence too, we talked about this with Troll Hunter. You're mixing certain old world beliefs, right? With the influence of Christianity and the influx of other conquesting people and things like that. So you have all these different ideas and concepts floating, and then certain people and groups of people will adapt to all of those things and can weave a whole entirely different tale with these ideas, which is really cool. I think that's, you get a little bit of that in here. Mm -hmm. I also had to wonder, in a world where you know that some form of magic works, in a world yeah. where there's people in your everyday life who have sold their soul to the devil to animate Kratz, how is Hans not more suspicious of a wolf just coming and laying down on his lap? All right. That's that's a very good question. One of the first things I had to look up was like the influence <coughs> and the importance of wolves in the folklore, mm -hmm. right? And so I found some interesting articles. One of them talks specifically of the fact that the wolves were highly esteemed, even in like ancient times in that region of Europe. Reason being because they looked at them, you know, like this really unique creature that it will cause harm, you know, to certain things. I mean, cattle was esteemed too. That's why the cattle in this film is mm -hmm. important. They weren't there for the kill. Like people wouldn't kill them. It's like, let, let them be. Just make sure that your cattle are not threatened, you know, by them. And they have a certain spirit about they like. They enjoyed, I suppose, or, you know, venerated. So along with that, they start weaving that into their folk tales. And one of them was, I looked it up as well. It was kind of neat. It's called The Woman as Wolf. Because I was wondering, like, is she turning into a wolf? Or is she just using a wolf to fulfill whatever she's wanting to do, mm -hmm. spy on Hans and all that other stuff? But even that is kind of a unique tale as well. I guess making my long story short with that. With the wolf, specifically with Lena, is through a mix of, like, 
variations of the tale. You can either have a witch or a stepmother or a mother figure. Is always typically a woman figure who would either help you achieve becoming a wolf or make you turn into a wolf. So there's two variations. Mm -hmm. In this case, she's using like a salve. Like a body Which lotion. I assume from this movie that she got from the witch at some point. Exactly. She goes to seek the witch's help, the hag. And in this case, the witch doesn't have evil intentions. She will help carry out those intentions, but she herself is kind of neutral, depending mm-hmm. on what you want. So I thought that was kind of neat. So she really was turning into a werewolf. And I guess that gets back into your, like, I'd be more suspicious of wolves just like randomly laying in my lap. Like if crats are possible, then I'm going to be suspicious if a wolf just comes and lays in my lap, no exactly. matter how much I venerate it. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like I think it's because they do venerate it. It's not uncommon, and they probably know whoever the fuck that wolf is. That's the only thing I could glean from it. But in our case, <laughs> I'm like, don't make any wrong moves. I don't get bit. Mm-hmm. I'll pitch you behind the well, ear. Even then, I mean. There's no way Hans knows it's Lena, or else he'd know more of how she felt before he does later on. I totally agree with that. And even then, it seems like he's way too head in the clouds to even fully grasp he's, how yeah, much Lena digs in. In, in, a, in a way, he is kind of oblivious to other things. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that Lena loves him. She's willing to do whatever. He's totally oblivious to that fact. But yeah, long story short, that, that kind of roundabout story gets back to what you are talking about with the wolves in his lap. It's like... A little bit of research. It's like, wow, they really do dig the wolf a lot, which is cool. Love the devil being at the crossroads. That was awesome. It's timeless. Meet me at the crossroads. <laughs> Dude, I started singing that this morning. <laughs> oh, man. What I liked is they do use you know the trickery, the ruse with the currents. That is a part of the folklore. But I was not anticipating it. You can kind of see it coming, but I was like, oh, poor Hans got fucked. So I figured he was going to get fucked somehow. Yeah. Before the end of the movie was came around. So as soon as he formed the fucking snowman crat, I was like, that's fucking dumb. Yeah. Well, there's a Greek story too. Is it Adonis or one of those Greek gods where they're trying to push a boulder up a fucking hill or whatever, and it keeps rolling down. It made me think of that at first. I was like, he's doing an impossible task. Mm-hmm. So something tragic is going to happen from this. I didn't anticipate the poetry coming from No, uh, I didn't, I didn't was anticipate really cool. that at all. That was really cool. And like the idea of like, well, it was made of water, so water used to be somewhere else, and it was able to bring him all of these, all these stories. stories. Yeah. I thought that was super cool. I didn't really think Hans deserved that, because there was almost nothing... Him being like this crazy, out-there dreamer character with his head in the clouds all the time... That's almost like wish come true and like allowed him to die happy for being oblivious to everyone in his life. You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Adult. I know what you're saying there, yeah. But I still thought it was really neat. I like how it played I don't up. think he deserved it, but I thought it was super neat. No, I mean, there's a lot of shit in this film that nobody deserves. <laughs> like, these are not really good intention. I mean, they have good intentions, but they do some crazy shit to get to it. But I did kind of think... Especially because at the point where he gets tricked in this movie comes, not really tricked. He went intending to trick. and then, Yeah. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. I know exactly what you mean, yeah. I kind of thought this movie had established itself enough in folklore that I was familiar with that there was going to be basically three times with the devil and that the devil wasn't going to catch on to the third time. Gotcha. Because of so many folklore and fairy tale things happening in threes. I thought he was going to get tricked twice. And then whatever happened that third time, the devil was going to catch on. But Yeah. 
but it was fool me once, shame on you. Yeah. And the devil's like, I'm not getting fooled again, bitch. I'm taking Hans. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the neat thing, too, like watching it twice, I don't know if you caught this or not. So the character of Endel is like the heavyset guy that was going after Lena. Right. Right. They had made a pact with the plague, death, whatever. Let us save a young man, a young woman, so that we can, you know, recreate or procreate our race, whatever. And devil, death, whatever, the pig, the sound. Mm-hmm. He's like, as he's like getting rapey with her, you hear those pig squeals. And they even mention it earlier on. Like, she's like, you want to marry your pig? He's like, what is this bullshit? Mm-hmm. Her dad made a, like a deal with him. You know, they talk about it was at a pub. But knowing the deals that they make, it's like, well, is that really the devil that played a trick on him? You know, for his soul? No. Perhaps that's why he was making those sow sounds when he was trying to rape her. Like that was the boy was going to be the devil, Endel, whatever, death, mm-hmm. and Lena. Like she was a part of that deal regardless. It's like, huh, that's kind of clever. I wrote that down. I was like, I don't know if that was what it was supposed to be or I'm just, you know, maybe it's just me. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's something else to think about. I'll think about that. But I don't know if I'll be able to think about it fast uh, yeah. enough to say anything <laughs> I know. about it. I just something I, I noticed watching it second time through is like, man, he sounds a lot like a sow right now. Like he's making those sounds trying to rape or, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to get with Lena. Didn't work. Most of the time I don't run into this when I'm reading subtitles on movies and all that. But there's a couple things where I'm like, I know I'm missing subtleties here because I don't know the language they're speaking. But he just very clearly said the same word three times in a row. And that's not what the subtitles said. Yeah. And I'm very specifically thinking of... The scene where Ince is telling Hans that he'll tell the Baron that his pants just got horny and ran off into the woods. Right. He uses some sort of cultural onomatopoetic yeah. to describe what's going on. Exactly. Because he says I, the same word three point. times in a row, and that's what gets Hans laughing. Yeah. But they translate it as just saying his pants got horny. I know what you're saying. Maybe that's like a euphemism or whatever they use. I'm missing something, and I know I'm missing it because I'm not familiar. I'm not yeah, in the culture, like, and I'm not in the language. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I barely know how to say these people's names, let alone trying yeah. to make out that stuff. But yeah, yeah, that's a good point because there's like this translational thing that we're missing. So if somebody can explain that to me. That'd be cool. If you speak Finnish or Estonian, yeah, you could help us out. Help a brother out. <laughs> oh, I was going to ask you about this, right? The love potion. The body oh, sweat. the shit bread? Essentially, right? All right, he knew he had to use certain ingredients. Why would he use so much of it? <laughs> okay, that's a really fair point. She didn't specify how much. No, she didn't specify this how This dude much. went, like, all out. Like, hair's hanging out. I don't know what the fuck he was gnawing on. Kind of don't want to know. It's like, ugh. I forgot that we probably should have warned about shit-eating in this movie. Yeah. Was it coprophagia or whatever? Yeah. Ugh, yeah. I mean, it's implied coprophagia, but... You get the Um, hint. So, yeah, I didn't even think about that point. I thought when the other chick started laughing after the witch told him that, that it was obvious she was fucking with him. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, that's I thought it was obvious that this woman was like, get the fuck out of here with this love potion shit. Go feed her fucking shit and hair. That's going to work. Like, she was just having a fucking laugh at him. (laughs) Because even if he would have used very little, that's not going to work. They were just fucking with him. He was in love with that bitch. He was really... Yeah. He put all kinds of nastiness in that. 
But I will say this. It kind of gets back to like the paganism thing and the Christianity thing. Because the next thing he does is kind of go berserker and shoot the statue of Jesus. And then he snatches up. <laughs> oh, he fucks up Ince. And yeah. then he takes Louisa. And uh, <laughs> Ince doesn't put up a fight the second time around. He's just like, yep, here's the door. <laughs> I was like, wow, that was kind of wild. I wasn't anticipating that. That, that was all weird. And I feel like a lot of that is meaning something that I'm missing. Yeah, there, because there's, there's a cultural barrier a little bit. Not just the cultural barrier, but I feel like there's something... I don't know. They're playing something with the Christianity motifs in this movie, and I'm not exactly sure what they're meaning by it. Because there's different times where you suddenly have, like, the statue of Jesus fucking weeping blood and, like, blood coming out of the fucking side wound. And, like, the Bible that they have plagues whereupon starts bleeding. And it happens at all these really weirdly specific times, and I think there's something I'm missing, but... I read somebody's review, and I thought that was just really neat, too, is the fact they were talking about souls a lot in this film. is like you're either selling a soul, trying to give a soul, you know, and then you're playing with, like, the Faustian idea of, you know, you're trying to attain certain things, and you're willing to sell your soul to achieve them. And in this case, for the most part, it's just very menial things, you know? You know, either I can't plow or I don't really want to plow the fields or whatever, so I'm going to get this fucking collection of household items to do it for me. Yeah, I'm willing to sell my soul for it. Fuck it, right? And you're signing a pact that, you know, that's your ass. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So that's what I'm getting at, too. It's like it's playing with these ideas that, for the most part, I'm not saying love is menial, but it's like the links you're willing to go, man, it's going to cost you big time in the long run. In this case, you know, it's tragic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very tragic, but... You know, was it worth it? After seeing some of the other folk magic actually come to life, like her werewolf transformation scene isn't a transformation. It's you suddenly see a wolf running. You know what I mean? She's, you know, rubs herself with oil. Yeah. Werewolf doesn't have the same connotation as we're familiar with it in their folklore. But I mean, you do see flying crap in the beginning. And so a part of me really, really, really wanted to see her throw the arrow at the window. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you know that something would happen. Because that was legit made by the witch. That wasn't oh, shit yeah. She's like, was spill her brains like, ooh. Once again, I'm kind of glad that she didn't go through with it all in the end. Because the Baroness didn't deserve to die just because Hans sucks. Yeah, exactly. And Lena knew that, too, throughout the film. She's like, you know, she loves somebody she that She would won't... phrase it different. Right. But ultimately, she's like... I'm not going to become a killer because Han sucks. Exactly. Because all that was going to do is make him go into the, like this deep depression. You know, who knows what happened? He's not going to love her regardless the way she wants him to love her. I still wanted to see that magic get used, though. No, no, no. I was like, you know, everything else we've seen in it, like, you got the fucking dead coming into, like, so that grove in the woods. That was cool. One thing I thought was kind of funny, too, it took me the second time to figure it out, was um, those two spirit dudes who wound up hanging out in Lena's house and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Afterwards, they run into that, like, the, the peons. Yeah. yeah. The shit couple. <laughs> Basically, like, the, the shittiest couple you can imagine. I mean, they they were funny, man. After he smacks her because she's like, oh, we're going to pick flowers. And he's like, what flowers are you going to pick in the woods, you old hag in November? They go into, like, a cabin or whatever. They go into the sauna. Yeah, they go in the sauna as full-grown the- chickens. It's like, oh, fuck. That's what Lena's dad was telling her about earlier, and mm-hmm. I didn't really put it together. Because it was like... That's weird. Why? What the fuck does chickens have to do with this? It's like, oh, oh, fuck. <laughs> there, there they are thrashing about. 
I thought that was clever. I like how they did that. That was funny. Yeah, I enjoyed that. I even liked um, the flashes when you first encounter the devil in the woods. Oh. Like, if you pause it, of course, you get to see that lady who got smacked with a fucking broom. She's in there, and so is a chicken in the woods. So that lets me know that maybe one of those dudes is hanging out, too, in the woods. I don't know. But I, I kind of like the way they played around with that. I never thought any of these movies that we would watch for this would give me such an easy way to avoid the plague. Oh, I know, right? Put pants on your head? No shit. Death will think you have two asses. It won't dare touch you. <laughs> That's fine. I don't mind if the plague doesn't touch me because it thinks I have two asses. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> I'll shit out my mouth all day long. <laughs> I did read a little bit in the synopsis, the one that we didn't give. You know, it talks about the plague comes to visit and blah, blah, blah. I like how the plague was personified in the woman. Mm-hmm. Tricked the guy with the kiss. And that, too, is another thing I like. Because you were playing with the black and white color spectrum. It was on the spectrum. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's just, you know, you get this really serene white, very white sequence. And then as soon as she kisses him, he goes blackface, for lack of better words. But they're not doing it in that sense. They're doing it to give you the, you know, this is death. This is, like, lowly. This is, Mm -hmm. And I like the contrast. Even with the Baron and his family, the Baroness, they almost look saintly. And everybody else is just kind of lowly and dark and grimy. They use that just as well with death. You mentioned the Baroness, but I'm really surprised that the old Baroness didn't come back around in some form after they Good showed point. her very briefly in the very beginning. Yeah, she but. looks like she was on her deathbed for the most part. But more on the plague point, and more specifically after the plague point, what the fuck was with the, the cuddle rubbing? puddle? <laughs> the cuddle puddle? Yeah. <laughs> That has to be rooted in some kind of old world tradition, I suppose. It's like they survived or cheated death or mm-hmm. whatever. And that was their way of connecting, I suppose. I mean, even after they made the deal with the sow in the barn, too, they had that little dance. I was like, oh, man, they're like recreating Beastie Boys video. <laughs> I liked it. It was out in the snow. I even liked the scene with Hans in the cabin where he has like the little harp you know, boing, boing, boing. That was cool. Yeah. Some of the shots, I mean, I couldn't help but notice, like, this is a very photogenic film. Like, you could literally watch this film just in slides and still get <clears throat> the same effect. There's not many films that are, like, I guess, are hyper-photogenic as this film. Like, it's stunning, man. One of the darkly comedic things about this movie... And it's great because they found a way to to double up on the joke and once play it straight and then play it super dark with the fact that the snowman crat tells him the story and the lovers and the ring <laughs> and fuck it. Which old guy was it? I think was it was it Sander. Le- okay, it was Sander. Yeah, because um, he was trying to help Lena and him too, but yeah, it was Sander. And Sanders like, oh shit, maybe the ring's out here. And yeah. he starts looking. And he starts like, looking for it. You're like, you dumb guy. <laughs> and then fucking ten minutes later, when the snowman oh, melts, yep. there's the ring. There it is. And he never gets to give it to her because oh, yeah. the snowman melts. The only way he could find the ring to give it to the Baroness was the snowman melting. And the snowman melting is his end. Yeah, exactly. All those series of events, it's like a domino effect. This leads to that, that leads to this, etc. And that's kind of how I like that, too. That whole end sequence is really clever. It was inevitable. We all saw the writing on the wall. But I still like the way it played out, the sequence. Even her death, there was still a connection with them, too. It was poetic. And then, of course, you get the fucking... <laughs> the crazy couple finding all the treasure. It's like, of yeah. course they would. 
Um, and be when, very dismissive of her. So when Lena dies and she gets that bit with Hans, that was my very last note was, is that their mutual afterlife or is that just hers? Good point. Does no. Hans finally notice her in death? Possibly. That could be your, like I said, the fairy tale. That could be the happy yeah, the, ending. The happy ending or right. that's just hers. Exactly. And that's what I like too is like their characters were likable enough even though their fates were like said sealed already and in some ways almost written on the wall by the time you get halfway through the oh, movie oh yeah you can kind of like if you because uh, we all as soon grew as up he lays fairy I, tales yeah as soon as he lays eyes on her uh, alright now I love the choice of casting in this film like everybody did a great this job this might be one of my favorite devils of all time he was awesome dude he was funny he was uh, playful playful I liked even when he's like licking the book and spits. I was like, oh, that's all that was awesome. I love when he's just stopping. He's like, let's make your pants dance. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Just his overall physicality, the way he used his face and expressions. Great. Holy shit. Absolutely one of my favorite devils. Is that normally the Estonian devil? Please, somebody. (laughs) I actually looked into that a little bit. I did my homework on that as well. And they have two variations of what they, you know, perceive the devil. One is one that's a little bit more down to business. Okay. And the one that we got in this film. So that is one of the traditional He's super neutral, right? Okay. He's neutral, but, you know. You have to imagine that that's based on something older. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's an older Estonian deity that was then called the devil after forced Christianization. Yeah, it's not not the devil as we know what the devil is. It's more of a deity. Mm -hmm. That's the only other thing I could think of, though, was when I saw that character. I'm like, this has to be a co-opted devil, which I'm okay with. But, like, in my head, like, there was a part of my brain that was going, that I'm like, the way that this character is being portrayed, but the fact that this is based on... The actual mythology of the place means that this mythology is corrupted by forced Christianization. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a bastardization of a lot of things in this film. (laughs) Like I said, all of it's really clever. I like it because it doesn't force you, but if you're intrigued enough, it made me want to do the homework for Mm -hmm. it. You know, like look into some of the folktales and why they're incorporating certain animistic aspects in the film with the characters and, you know, it starts to make sense the more you read into it. And it's like, oh, this is literally, like you were saying, a fairy tale, a fable. In some ways, it's a couple of them. It really is. It's a, it's a Because it's a the plague portion is almost its own tale completely. Yeah. I like the way that it personified. It personified a woman, probably for that man specifically. They recognize probably the Billy Goat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With the devil, that could be another. I was like, we got Black Philip, now we get White Philip. Yeah, or Phyllis. Phyllis, or... yeah, whatever, whatever you want to name it. But I was like, I like that too. It played a little bit with that, you know, the plague, of course. I just thought it was neat. I thought it was a really cool way of incorporating um, the animals into it. I know that I had it down as a note, but I skipped by it and already closed my book. That's okay. But to pop all the way back to the ghosts, why do you think her mom disappeared? Oh, that's a good point, man. I wonder how much... Because I feel like that was somewhat unclear. They weren't very specific. I had a feeling like her dad had something to do with it somehow. But then she also disappeared after the daughter admitted that she dug Hans. She didn't say it in so many yeah, words. She's, but she's like, like, I'll have someone. Yeah, she does make... You know, it's even mom. better if you have somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody needs something. Even better if you have someone. Yeah. Of course, she's like... She's a loon. In fact, she has Hans. She disappears. So, yeah, you're right. She's hanging on to her mom. Her mom disappears because now lena has someone 
But it's weird because she absolutely had even that intensity of feelings before her mom showed up. So I don't know. Yeah, I know. It, I, I felt like it was unclear. And I think that's another one of those things where I'm like, I kind of feel like this movie, there's still something that plays across the entire movie that I'm missing in some big meta sense that the Christian symbols and the mom and some of that all ties into somehow that I'm missing. But yeah, maybe but I'm I- wrong. I don't know. Maybe it's just a pretty movie. <laughs> I mentioned to you that I did listen to a brief interview with Ria Lisht, who plays Lena in the film, and she was talking about Estonian film viewers, right? She says, typically with tales like November, she's like, they don't like to watch it because it is kind of bleak. You know, it's art housey. Some of it's a little depressing. So they're not necessarily wanting to view because they know it. They know this story already. She said, but it's, you know, it's interesting to play this and live it out. So for us, it's like, I'm intrigued by it because I don't know. But, you mm-hmm. know, probably people who have grown up with these tales is like, Amber, I already know it. No big deal. I just find it intriguing, man. It's like, yeah. we mentioned, we've both seen the trailer for it. Somebody who's going to be joining us pretty soon posted it on your wall. And I watched the trailer. I was like, man, this looks fucking good. And like I said, we mentioned last week, like, oh, it's on Shutter. That's even better. Yeah. And it's so, Estonian, never seen thanks that. Thanks again, Shutter. Yeah, so really enjoy this film. I and mean, there's some really cool stuff to dig into, especially if you like folktales and lore and, you know, the mythology of things like this. It just gives you another excuse to visit this side of the folklore with Estonia, and it's rooted in some of the Scandinavian tales and whatnot. Even though they're quite a bit different, I would say, and this is just to try to blow this movie a little bit more, (laughs) is that the movie that this made me think of more than any other movie would be Pan's Labyrinth. Mm. That's a good point. Actually, I was talking to Jeff this morning about this film, and he mentioned Pan's Labyrinth. I was like, yeah, you could probably compare it a little bit. I mean, they're similar. Mm -hmm. Pan's Labyrinth is a little bit more like a fairy tale put into reality. And this is more where reality incorporates the fairy tale. Yeah, and this, the fairy tales and superstition and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, there's a slight comparison you mm-hmm. can use with those films. I've seen people try to liken it to, like, some David Lynchian stuff. And it's like, I don't necessarily agree with that. It's like, there's a little surrealism, but David Lynch is, like, completely different. Just because it's black and white, don't try to compare it to Eraserhead, dude. It's... It's not the same. It's really not. You might as well compare it to Tetsuo. Yeah, there. No. Would you compare this film to Tetsuo? No. All right. Not exactly. This is like not no. even in the use of black and white. That's what I'm getting at. I think that's the only way you can compare the two. Not even in the use of black and white. No. There's a film because I, Tetsuo uses it to so much different effect oh, than this movie does. Completely different. Like I said, it's not even close. There is a film I have seen it likened to that's probably a little bit more on the nose. That particular film is called Hard to Be a God. And it was done by, I believe, a Russian director. And it deals with certain concepts, too, with folklore and just... I think that one's a little bit more surrealistic. But as far as, like, cinematography, it's more likened to that particular film. So it makes me want to maybe check that film out later. I know it's not horror, but... Yeah. I was like, that's... <laughs> this this one barely not really was horror too. either, but you're right. Though, as we both pointed out to ourselves earlier in this week, too... Nightbreed is barely a horror movie as well. Yeah. And like I said, it plays around with horror elements. I mean, Clive Barker, but but you're right. It's not really a traditional horror a in the sense. Movie. It's a fantasy, dark fantasy. This one's a dark fairy tale. Like I said, it plays with elements of horror, but it's not a horror film. Which, sorry if you came here for pure horror, but this movie's fucking gorgeous. Go watch it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> if, if nothing else, it was an excuse to definitely watch this film. I really enjoy this film. 
I think there's only going to be a handful of films that might even compete with like favorite films of the year. I was already thinking, I'm like, we're here not even in May and I'm already thinking of favorite films of the year. Because we watched this movie. Precisely. That wasn't like the catalyst for it, but here we are. Yeah. (laughs) Highly recommend this film. Like if you like art house films, if you like European films, if you don't mind a little bit of slow burn, it plays with some really trippy concepts like the Krat you know, you and I both talked about the fairy tale, and it's just a, it's a really oh, and really I have to point cool out, story. I dug all of the crats in this movie. All the crats were good. All the I crats were good. Did not anticipate the one taking a piss. No, I was like, oh wait, it farted. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, that was really man. good. Like I said, the devil was awesome in this film. The witches, I like the witches in this film. Not my favorite witches, but I no, I don't the know. Witches. But they were so good. They were like I said, they were neutral. The plague was killer. Plague was awesome. Especially because we got White Phyllis. We didn't talk a lot about Dieter Lasser, the Baron, because he's not in it very long. He's not in it. I like his I feel like there's something weird going on with that, too, that I'm maybe missing, even maybe just because of translations. He's he's German. I think it's like, perfect. We got a German actor to play a German Baron. Perfect. Mm -hmm. No, I liked his mannerisms more than anything, and... Yeah, uh, the Dieter costume was design fun. was really good in this. Oh too. my god, his his costumes were so fantastic. Damn, his shirts were pimping, dude. I mean, not that I would ever want to wear potato sacks, but the villagers' costumes were believable for that time period. They were both believable, and I felt almost romanticized yeah. all at the yeah, same yeah, time. Considering because they looked like you imagine peasants to look, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. That is kind of funny, but you're right. It really is. Because I feel like true peasants look way dirtier and way worse off than what you actually imagine peasants to look like. Yeah. They try to do some of the griminess just to give you the feel, but I never felt like it was grimy. No. You know, not the way that maybe you envision peasants. But neither did it feel like it was like so insanely clean cut that it was unrealistic. No, no, no. It was somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was fun all the way through. I was really excited after watching the first time through. I was like, man, this is a really good film. I wonder how Tyler's going to feel about it. Oh, I, I really liked it. I'm um, glad you enjoyed it. I do have to admit that the second time through, it is a kind of a slow-moving film. It really and is. And so it was kind of easy to sort of zone out. But yeah, I had just gotten done watching. Like You mentioned, we like you specifically watched all the movies and shows this weekend. My only homework really was to watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> that was like my independent homework. And for this film, but four hours for two viewings of this film, it's like, that's a lot to take in. The thing that kept me through it the second time through is the fact that I watched half of it yesterday. Mm -hmm. It's like, man, for me, I know how I take notes and shit. It's like, there's no way I could have done two hours this morning. The way I take notes, I'm, I'm glad I broke it up. And that's no discredit. It's just it's just the way I am. You know? Yeah. It's, it's just a really good film. Watch it at least one time through. If you're a nerd like us, watch it a second time through. You'll get maybe a little better understanding of some of the concepts. But it's a great film all the way through. Okay, so on that note, as long as everything goes to plan, we should point out that we're going almost to the opposite end of the spectrum oh, next week. yeah, we are. When you think about it. This is moody beautiful <laughs> art house foreign yeah subtitles subtitles there's and a lot of next A's. week we're going straight on to fucking campy 80s creatures <laughs> <laughs> man it's gonna be fun dude this is when we we've tiny been creatures out. done with claymation right yeah i believe so. i believe you're right tiny claymation well, no actually some of it yeah some of it is and some of it is some of it, actually practical yeah <laughs> Which is funny thinking about that, but it is. Which um, feels so far removed from this. 
Oh, um, man. But as long as everything goes to plan, and we'll come up with a, a backup, backup just in, case. Just, in yeah, case, just in case, so that we still bring you something next week, even if things go <laughs> completely fucking haywire, we'll be going at the gate. Yeah, dude. That's a film I'm excited mm-hmm. to talk about. Now, something that you and I have watched a while back. Yeah, I'm still looking forward to actually getting to talk about it. Do you it. know if that's still on Shutter as well? I didn't look, but fingers crossed. I'm not sure. Shout out at Shutter. I know, dude. Thanks for making November so easily available for us because it was a little daunting when I first watched that trailer to realize that it was an Estonian movie. When uh, I know. It. It's like, ooh, man, I don't even know if they have a torn for this shit. But it was fun. I'm glad that Shutter is providing films like that. I know we bump them a lot, but, you know, they have some really cool shit on there. Not going to lie. But yeah, The Gate, it's going to be fun. It's a film I did grow up with, thinking back on it now. And it's a little bit more, I guess, relevant because of one of the actors that was just recently in a television series mm-hmm. that I watched. So yeah, it's going to be fun talking about him. And hopefully we're going to have a guest for that. Well, we're not going to do it unless we have a guest. So Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, we're doing a completely different fucking Yeah, it'd be kind of pointless so to do that. We'll be having a first-time guest. We'll introduce him and all that on next week's episode. Yeah. In order to listen to next week's episode, please hit subscribe on however you're listening to us right now. If you don't like how you're listening to us right now, head over to our website, www.friedsworms.com. There's links up at the top to the most popular listening places. Down at the bottom, we always have the most recent episodes streaming. And throughout the whole middle of it, we have links to all of our portals, the Instagram, the Facebook, the Twitter and you can contact us through the website or squirmcast at gmail.com, and we would love to hear from you. Yeah, we love recommendations. We've had some great ones. We're looking forward to more great ones. We have throughout the ideas, if you're ever looking to maybe want to do some collaborations or if there's films that you want to screen, we're up for it. Just let us know. Hit us up. Fucking films you want us to talk about. Yeah. If you want us to do Halloween 3 again. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? I just saw something else about that that's movie so today, funny. and I immediately thought of that. Like, and that's not a, a truly exasperated sigh. I just like I can't believe this movie keeps coming up. Oh man, it's like what was it? Five more months to Halloween. <laughs> we're almost uh, there. We're getting there. Yeah, but shit for this week. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried squirms. Oh. <laughs>